You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Um, But if you're like me, maybe you have found yourself going the wrong way at some point in your life. Um, Last summer, I think it was, we were on our way to my mother-in-law's house in Charleston. I've driven there, I don't know how many times. Uh, And almost every time that we go, we go down 65 to Birmingham and straight across to Atlanta. But somewhere in Birmingham, um, I kind of look around and think, this doesn't look familiar. Okay, just keep going. A little further, I'm thinking, no, I have never seen this before. Uh, And I should have seen this before because again, I've driven this road like a hundred times. I hit the GPS and if I remember correctly, uh, I quickly learned that I was on I-59, I think it is. Yeah, I'm not supposed to be on I-59. I'm supposed to still be on 20. Somewhere along the way, I either started paying attention to something else uh, or I stopped paying attention altogether. Um, But I figured out this is not where I'm supposed to be. I informed everybody else in the car uh, and especially the gallery from the back seat started giving me the business because now we're going to be like 30 minutes later to get to grandma's and it's a long enough trip to begin with, right? But the important thing is I got off got back on, went down, got back on Interstate 20, and got back on the right road. So I don't know, for you, there are times in, in life we, we set out in a direction, and whether this is literal, figurative, um, we, we know where we're headed, we think, uh, we've got a map, so to speak. You know, in our day and time, we even have GPS. Still, somehow, we get sidetracked, Um, We miss a turn. We wind up in the wrong place. I hope that this will be some actually encouraging good news for you this morning. That actually happened to Abram. Abraham, the guy that we consider to be the father of our faith, um, made a bit of a wrong turn. And so this morning, as we continue on in Genesis, we're going to take a look at yet last week, Chip looked at the beginning of Genesis 12 and the faith of Abraham Well, this morning, we're going to take a look at the fear of Abraham and how they go together. So we're going to be, again, in Genesis chapter 12, um, a refresher, whether you were here last week or not, at the beginning of Genesis 12, God comes to Abram and says to Abram, I want you to go. I want you to leave behind Um, your father. I want you to leave behind your home. I want you to leave behind your kindred. I want you to leave behind all these things that you own. Go and I will show you where to go. God doesn't say like, hey, I'm going to need you to go from Huntsville to Atlanta. He says, I need you to leave and go and I'll show you. Now, here's the promise I'm making to you, Abram. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your name great. Here we are 4,000 years later, still talking about him. Um, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who dishonor you. And you'll see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 4, that Abram went as the Lord told him. 
and he made his way through all of these different areas, winds up in the land of Canaan, where at that point his enemies lived. If you and I were going through the city or the land of our enemies, we would probably try and find some back roads. We would try and keep a low cover. Uh, We wouldn't want to be really noticed. Not Abram. Abram traipses right through the middle of Canaan, sets up an altar and worships the Lord. And it says in verse 9 that Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. What that translates to you and me is that Abram kept moving in faith in the direction that God was leading him. But then something happens. Look at verse 10. Genesis twelve ten. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now, a t- couple things that are important to understand. The, uh, the amount of distance Abram has traveled from leaving Ur, where he started, to getting to Canaan, um, this is hundreds of of miles, if not possibly a thousand. Well, to get from where he is now to go to Egypt, equally as long. Hopping on down to Egypt didn't mean like it would be a half day trip. They were going to go a really, really long way. But I want you to think about something. What would be going through the mind of Abram? If you and I are Abram, what are we thinking at at this point? Okay, God, you asked me to leave everything I own, everyone I own, except for my wife, my nephew, and those right here around me. And we go all the way to where you asked us to go for what? To starve? Seriously, you brought us to this land, you promised us, and now there's famine. There's no food. What are we going to do? And now, you know, I told you about my little jaunt down Interstate 59, I think it was, and what was coming from the back seat. Okay, we just went 15 minutes out of the way, folks. Can you imagine, Dad said, we're going to leave everyone we know, we're going to leave everything we own, we're going to leave the comfort of home, and we're going to go to someplace I don't know yet, but God's going to show me. And we get there, and there's no food. My son can't go 15 minutes without eating. (laughs) To say that these folks were possibly hangry, that hungry, angry, that's probably an understatement. Uh, There's no telling what kind of irritation was developing within Abraham's family. Way to go. We said we should just stay there. They're probably not starving back home. On and on and on. What happens here, everybody, not just Abram, but everybody begins to get hungry. And what that really means is that everyone began to be dissatisfied. Everybody became dissatisfied. And here's something you and I need to be very, very aware of. When our flesh becomes dissatisfied, and here's the key, and that dissatisfaction is what we listen to, our spirit will begin to doubt. When our flesh becomes dissatisfied and we begin listening to the dissatisfaction, our spirit will begin to doubt. Think about this. Abram is believing God for what you and I would call like the ultimate. 
God has promised to make him a great nation, to make his name great. He's believing God for these ultimate huge promises, but now he's doubting God for the immediate, for food. Now, before we like pounce on Abram, we probably should acknowledge that we do the same thing. We're kind of tempted to do the same thing. For instance, we trust God for eternal life, but then we begin doubting that God can handle our everyday life. We trust that God defeated sin and death through his son, but that he's somehow going to miss this trial that has somehow poked its way into our life. We talk a lot here at the brook about God's sovereignty. Well, there's a reason for that because you and I, we, we will find great rest and peace in knowing that there is nothing that slips past, sneaks up on our God. But we'll trust him for eternal life, but then we'll start doubting that he's even paying attention to the everyday life. Let me repeat, when our flesh becomes dissatisfied, our spirit will begin to doubt. And here's why this is so important. When you and I begin to doubt and we begin to listen over and over to that doubt, we start to take things into our own hands. We start to take things into our own hands. Remember, think again, consider this. Abram Abram has traveled a thousand miles, left everything behind that he knows, his security, his extended family, his possessions. There's no map, there's no GPS Yet he followed God to a place that he had never been before. Why did he do this? Because he trusted God and he believed God. But then a famine hit. And what does Abram do? He runs to Egypt. Look with me, verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they'll let you live. Say that you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. So Abram stops trusting God's provision in this moment of doubt and uncertainty. God's going to show me where to go. I've never been there before, but now there's no food. I don't know if God can take care of that. I better take this into my own hands. He begins doubting God's provision. When we stop doubting, start, start doubting God's provision, we'll also begin doubting God's protection. See, if I also stop, I start doubting that God can take care of my needs, that he's going to provide for me, I'm going to start doubting that he can protect me as well. So what does Abram do? Well, because he begins to doubt, he takes things into his own hands. He starts trying to be his own provider. What does he say to Sarah? He says, lie and tell them that you're my sister so that it may go well with me. He starts trying to be his own protector that my life might be spared for your sake. But did you notice something? Did you notice that Abram's solution, as he's deciding to be his own provider and his own protector, it didn't have anything to do with crying out to the Lord. 
It didn't have anything to do with standing in his integrity. It didn't have anything to do with being firm in his faith. What was Abram's solution? A lie. I've got a great lie for us to tell. Verse 14. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. So Sarah was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. Pharaoh gives Abram lots of good stuff here. He gave him sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So Abram's plan appears to have worked. Am I right? Pharaoh not only spared his life, but said, here's a whole bunch of great stuff for you. So on the surface to the human eye, for an instant, it appears that God approves of Abram's plan. But I assure you, that's not the case. Why? Because God doesn't approve of us compromising his standards in our own attempts to fulfill his blessings and promises. God does not approve of you and I compromising his ways, his standards, even if it's in our attempts of trying to carry out and fulfill his blessings, his promises. He doesn't really need us to carry those things out. Very, very rarely in the economy of God, if you will, does the phrase, the end justifies the means work. I don't even know that that belongs in the language of the ways of God. But let's talk about it for a minute and and try and make it fit. Let's say that we are talking about God and that God is looking at things and says the ends justify the means. Well, First of all, let's talk about the end. When it comes to us as God's people, God's children, followers of Jesus Christ, in all things, what is the end? What is the the goal, the destination, the purpose? The end is holiness and righteousness. Now, we know that as far as being justified before God, you and I could never pull that off. That is why Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, that we might be justified. But we also know that that sanctification, that God is making us holy all the time, making us more like Christ. But the end goal with God in your life and in mine is always holiness and righteousness. So let's talk for a moment about the means. What are the means, the the path, the journey, the plan that get me to that goal, that purpose, that destination? Well, it's that word I mentioned a moment ago, sanctification. Sanctification is the process in our life where God is always purifying us, refining us, making us holy. Now, do you know what you do to refine and purify something? You put it in the fire. 
the, we, we used to sing this song a long time ago. I don't know if you remember, it was called Refiner's Fire. <laughs> My heart's one desire is to be holy. Well, the only way I become holy is by God sanctifying me and he has to turn up the heat very often. And you know how that most happens in your life and in mine? It comes through trial. It comes through sorrow. It comes through suffering. It comes through things that drive us to cry out to God. God is making us holy and righteous. The Lord desires to refine us, to purify us. So understand, if we're talking about the end justifies the means, yes, when it comes to God, it actually does. But that doesn't mean that in order for me to find this this place where God wants me to go, I can circumvent his way and go my way. That doesn't work. Here's why. When the people of God compromise the ways of God, even if we think it's for his glory, it defames the name and the reputation of God. Let me repeat that. When the people of God, when we as his people compromise his standards and his ways, even if we think that it's in an attempt to bring him glory, it will ultimately defame the name and the renown and the glory of God. Look at verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife back, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave orders, men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. I should mention, Sarah was Abram's half-sister. So you know when you and I think, and we, in our own brain, we go, well, I'm not technically lying. Well, you're not technically telling the truth either. That's what Abram's doing here. I read a commentary, though, that was asking the question of, was this really fair of God to do this to Pharaoh? I mean, he punished Pharaoh for Abram's deceit. Well, I think that's a dumb question, because let's just be real for a second here. We're not talking about a guy who in most every part of his life, he's trying to be pure and holy before the one true God. This is a pagan idolater with hundreds of wives. So whatever wrath God chooses to pour out on him, so be it. Let's ask a better question. Is it possible that God is not only speaking to Pharaoh through what he's doing to Pharaoh, but that he's also speaking to Abram? What do I mean by this? Well, hey, Abram, do you remember that covenant I made with you? And it wasn't like 10 years ago either. It was pretty recent, that covenant we made. And I said, I will make you a great nation and I will make your name great and I will bless those who bless you. And ah, Abram, do you remember what else I said? I will curse those who dishonor you. 
Well, the highest form of dishonor you could ever bring into a man's life is to take his wife. It seems as though maybe God is saying to Abram at this point, hey, Abram, that covenant with you, every single word of it, I mean business. And yes, it is for your good. But it is more than that for my glory. You can't go your way to get to my holiness. Only my way. Friends, where we desire, where, when we desire to walk in faith, we are always going to face temptation to run the other way in fear. Any point in our life where we desire to begin walking in faith, there is always going to be something there to tempt us to run the other way in fear. Why is that? Well, here's why. Where God has made promises to you and to me that require faith, he's always going to test that faith. When God makes a promise to us, he made a covenant with Abram, but he said, what's the first thing Abram's got to do? Go. I mean, you're not going to see me fulfill this promise if you don't leave and you don't go. God is always going to test that faith. Turn over with me to James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It produces endurance. And let that endurance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What is God's desire for you, for me? What is the end, the goal, the destination that you and I may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? How do we find our way there? Through the testing of our faith that produces endurance. And James says, every time you face that, consider it joy. I'd just be really, really candid and honest with you this morning. I don't do that. I don't. Because there are some times in the middle of trial that I realize I've done exactly what Abram has done. And rather than getting on my face in the closet and just saying, Lord, I don't understand this and I did not ask for this, but do I trust you? I start taking it into my own hands. Do you trust God for eternity? Then can you not trust him with whatever the trial is that has come into your life? Have you trusted that Jesus Christ has covered over your sin? That when he, God looks at you now, he sees his son. So he sees righteousness. Do you trust that Jesus has poured out his grace and his mercy on you, yet still struggle all the time to take control over areas of your life? I do, I struggle. This is why Jesus said on the hill that day, Hey friends, the birds that you hear right now, uh, you notice they always have food. 
and, and the flowers that are all around us, you notice that every spring, boop, here they pop back up. God somehow feeds them. Well, God cares for you infinitely more than them. And Jesus said, God will supply your needs. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He'll take care of the rest. All these things will be added to you. Maybe there's been a point in your life where you were walking in faith and somehow doubt began to set in and the next thing you knew you looked up and you were somewhere that you didn't intend to be. Like me cruising down Interstate 59. Or maybe yours feels a little bit more like Abram. Like I am standing in Egypt in the middle of the wake of a very, very fearful lie. And there's consequences beating the heck out of the boat. And maybe you are exasperated and wondering, where did my faith go and what do I do? Well, first of all, I do want to tell you this. The Lord wants to get your attention. He does not, I don't think, want to use a pagan ruler to do it, but he will, obviously. God wants to get your attention. So I would ask you maybe to think, have you compromised the ways of God in search of the promises of God. God doesn't work that way. With God, the end doesn't justify the means. Actually, with God, the end and the means are forever entangled together. You can't pull them apart. So if we're talking about God's end and God's means... Absolutely. But when it's when you and I try and take control of those things, everything goes crazy. God does not waver in his promises to us, but he doesn't waver in his standards for us either. When we begin to compromise either one of those, we stop walking in faith and we begin walking in fear. And when we walk in fear... I do believe that in the midst of that, God will comfort us. God will strengthen us because his love is not from fear. But understand this, in the midst of that, he will discipline us. He will. He will use whoever, whatever, however he chooses to do so. His love for you is that great. So what do you do? Well, you know, the greatest part, in my opinion, of Genesis chapter 12 is not Genesis 12. It's Genesis 13, 1. It says, so Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and his nephew with them back into the Negev. Abram returned to the Lord. Abram returned to where the Lord had faithfully brought him. He got sidetracked, went down the wrong road, 
Fear drove him there, but he came back. And I want to encourage you today that whatever it is that you are walking through, maybe change your thinking. Here's what I mean. I think a lot of times we wind up in circumstances. We wind up walking through trials. We, we wind up maybe feeling like we're in the valley of the shadow of death. And the question, even if we don't verbalize it to God, is how can I get out of this? What if our question becomes, what can I get out of this? Lord, even if I'm here at my own doing or I'm walking through this because you led me here, what do you want to teach me here? God, what is it that you're saying to me here? Maybe what God is saying to you is, child, I don't ever want you to wind up here again, but I've left you here long enough that you will remember you don't ever want to wind up here again. There have been countless times in my life that God did not walk me into my sin, but I promise you he sat there with me in my consequences. And he said, no, we're not going to leave here quite yet. I spent six months of my life at one point wondering where did my peace go? Folks, the sin that led me there, I tell you this, I will think more than twice before I ever consider stepping my foot there anymore. And that was 20 years ago. Maybe begin asking, Lord, what do you desire to teach me? What do you want to show me? What do you want to provide for me here in this place? I know that you're always working for my good. But I also know that you're always working for your glory. I want to ask you to bow your heads. As we prepare our hearts to respond to the Lord this morning. Let's just read what David says in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, this morning, we just, we praise you, Lord. We praise you because you are the great provider We praise you because you are 
our strong tower and our fortress, our protector. We praise you because you are sovereign. There is nothing in our lives, nothing, Lord, that has snuck up on you, slipped past you, Father, this morning, I I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here today and are in desperate need of your comfort. Lord, I pray that they would not try to find that comfort in something of this earth. But Lord, that they would receive it freely from you. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today who maybe find themselves standing in the middle of Egypt. God, maybe feeling like they have completely walked away from you, but now, Lord, want to return home. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would remind them today that you are the great shepherd. And you don't wait for your sheep to come home. You go out and find them. Lord, maybe today each one of us just need to, with reckless abandon, say, Father, please come and get me. trust you for eternity. Help us to trust you in the everyday. Lord, we thank you that Abram wrestled with fear. But Lord, was found righteous because of his faith. Father, we pray this morning that you would drive out all fear in our lives. That you would fill us with love. That you would fill us with a sound mind. Lord, that you would fill us with faith. Spirit, we pray in this moment that you would speak to our hearts. As we respond to the Lord in a moment in song, just want to encourage you, if you need to come to the foot of the cross or the steps and pray, please come. If you need someone to pray with you, 
would like for someone to share with you what it means to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Some of our pastors, elders, leaders will be in the back at the tables. They would love to talk with you, to pray with you. Lord, we pray that you would be honored and glorified as we continue to worship you this morning. Lord, that our worship would not just be songs from our mouth, but obedience from our lives. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.